Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel. It's suggested that brands avoid using sound effects in podcast ads. And remember to speak in a chill tone. Well, here's a suggestion for everyday life. Tap into the Weather Channel app. It's loaded with insights that help you manage your allergies, breathe easy, and use your outside voice. What in the weather are you waiting for? Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. Hello, and welcome to episode nine of Gig Pigs. It's episode nine, is that right? It's episode nine. Wow. Brimming with self-confidence already. <laughs> what a pleasure it was. Is it becoming boring hearing us saying that we've had another good time with another good person? You've got to hope that people vicariously want to experience that. Don't worry, there's a podcast coming up in your future where the, I hate the gig. So if you want if you hate. want some <laughs> every time you talk about this, it becomes Not hate not hated. Hated is strong, but I would say I didn't enjoy the band that much. That's not this episode. I love this. <laughs> but I just it's a weird paranoia to have on a music podcast where you're worried that people are not enjoying you enjoying the music uniformly. So don't worry, I hated one of the bands coming up. Alex is very much in a couple of weeks going to be trying to get himself into the feuds section of Fred Durst's Wikipedia page. <laughs> I think we can all look forward yes, to that please. hugely. Whereas the band Big Thief do not have, as far as I'm aware, a feuds section on their Wikipedia page. It's a pretty short Wikipedia page, broadly dealing in their critical acclaim and actually a little bit of personal backstory about the evolving relationship of a couple of members of the band. Big Thief are... An American indie folk proposition, always a big fan of the word proposition, (laughs) who have released five albums, I think in the last five years, the latest, a sprawling double album, all of them very critically acclaimed. They are a band who I think some people are starting to talk about as an important band of their generation. An important proposition. An important proposition. I think proposition already implies a certain import. But yes, they're brilliant. They came to my attention in 2017 when I was taking part in an exercise which is, you have to say, a precursor to this sort of exercise and indeed included the person who produces this podcast, our friend Michael. A WhatsApp album club where every week a different member of the club would suggest an album, either a new one or a lost classic or something that they thought the group might not have listened to or might not have given its dues and we would have to listen to it minimum three times and then write a review of it and say our favourite song, our least favourite song, and give it a mark out of 10. And we did this pretty solidly for, I would say, about six months. And then the first album club child was born and immediately <laughs> started to peter out. <laughs> our first album was Everything Now by Arcade Fire, which got things off to a great start. Particularly if you think this is too positive a podcast and you'd like to hear a few more kickings. Time to kill a sacred cow. Yeah, well, it was timed perfectly with one of the defining bands of most of the WhatsApp group's history releasing what most people seem to agree was their first really definitely flawed album Mm. and they've since become more flawed both musically and personally (laughs) so yeah that was interesting i think their 2022 album was an improvement on their 2017 album so i think they became less flawed musically at a time when they became significantly more flawed at least in one of their persons personally 
I do agree with you about that album, but it's not the hill. It's not my hill. <laughs> yeah. I like the song Rabbit Hole. Anyway, I had proposed the previous week the album Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Themselves a band who divide people on a sort of musical and personal front. And Blood Sugar Sex Magic, a couple of people had gone into bat for it and I loved it. And a couple of people had given it naught or one out of ten. <laughs> and then into the following week, the album Capacity, Big Thief, was lobbed and it could not have been a much more different proposition. <laughs> and uh, it's gorgeous melodies and bruised lyrics soothed us all, by which I mean I gave it seven. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit of a shame. Looking back, having described this gig as one of the great gigs and having talked effusively with this week's guest, Nish Kumar, about it, to look back at me being sort of like, yeah, this is pretty good. Not really seeing my big thief future in this review. A review which at one point says, sure, I'm not afraid of trauma. I just haven't had much of my own and I don't want my face pressed up against the glass on track one. <laughs> so, so, so that's a nice sentiment. <laughs> So yes, we hope that's a good introduction to Big Thief. Not specifically that one sentence of my review. <laughs> but it's so great that we can talk about them on this episode with Nish Kumar. Nish is a fantastic comedian and huge Big Thief fan. who is Huge music fan and a man who can really describe the music he loves with such lovely warmth and clarity. Precision and warmth, exactly. Precision and warmth. Yeah, I think I'm often quite heavy on the warmth. But quite light on the precision. <laughs> really effusive. It sounded bloody great. It's <laughs> <laughs> like lovely. Yeah, what was that? What was that time signature, Ivo? <laughs> I think Nish did talk about a time signature at one point. <laughs> Unbearable in many ways to be in his company. Wisdom dripping from every poor. Nish needs little introduction, but perhaps one of his new projects needs a bit of introduction because it is new. By the time this is in your ears, it will be one week before the release of the first episode of. Pod Save the UK, his new podcast with Coco Khan, the journalist. And that is a crooked media production. It's a sort of equivalent project for the UK, the very successful Pod Save America podcast. And so that's a sort of weekly, humorous and informative dive into the UK's political scene from a leading journalist and leading satirist. So that feed is live now. The trailer is up on it now. So if you go look up Pod Save the UK on your podcast, podcast platform of choice you can subscribe to that feed now and then get your first episode of that dropping in your feed when it does next week alex of course a keen political consumer yes, of, of such things in a way which i don't think it doesn't get much room on this podcast <laughs> but you're very much i mean I, I, working out which cabinet ministers screamed uh, which yeah, yeah. napalm death song that's about it we're not getting into whether those cabinet ministers participated in the extraordinary rendition regime of the uk government during the worst excess of the war on terror jack straw not ed miliband right. <laughs> so much going on there and fingers crossed you've listened to the ed gamble episode about napalm death because astonishingly <laughs> that's where the jack straw reference is <laughs> So yes, a big shout out to Nish and his latest and indeed historic work. It was a real treat to have him on the podcast. Absolutely. Enjoy. I've destroyed my coffee. Almost no enjoyment whatsoever. <laughs> just, a, just, a, just, just a procedure. Just mainlined it. Yeah, I mean, very nice. But, I uh, have my procedural coffee as soon as I wake up. Mm. Alex made a lovely one of those. There wasn't quite enough. You got an oat latte off me, but it left you wanting one more. Yeah. I love staying at Alex's house. It's just so lovely. There's so many things that are just gently very comforting about it. 
from the coffee before you've even got out of your room to the towel on your bed to the podcast data that he presents you with. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, what's the third thing that's going <laughs> to We don't need a rule of three. No, Let's rule of two. No, I could have thought, thought a third nice thing, obviously. <laughs> okay. Nish has his format points. He does. I've got my format points. Dominic Robb's resigned. It's all has good. Has he resigned? Dominic yeah. Robb's resigned. It's all good. So, so he's been lent on. We go straight in with that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's perfectly <laughs> that's a good, time. good plug for your new podcast, right? That's the perfect oh, that's way ideal. to get in. That's Nish, how Nish, we do. do you follow um, UK politics much? <laughs> <laughs> Only when there's financial compensation at stake. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that probably extends to more than a ticket to Big Thief. <laughs> Brackets, not even. Um, <laughs> would you like us to talk about Pod Save the UK? Yeah, sure. Is that going to be responding to breaking news such as today's? Yeah, yeah. But we don't have to dwell on it too much. But yeah, this would be an example of a day that would really have screwed us over. Right. <laughs> because the podcast would have come out on Thursday morning. And it's now Friday morning and Dominic Rabers has gone. Do you hope it might be that Rishi, to an extent, would have played long enough just to miss it? <laughs> it feels like he had the report on his desk at a point that would have made it a spicy Wednesday, but a doable Wednesday. Well, luckily whereas... we're not recording this week, but let me tell you, fucking hell. Anyway, it's good. Let's talk about gigs. <laughs> Let's talk about gigs. That's very decent of you, Nish, to move from your wheelhouse into sort of still your wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, there's two things I like. It's gigs it's and podcasts. UK politics. <laughs> yeah. I feel that talking to you about this is like when David Brent says about Texas, okay, he couldn't run a special paper there. And, you know, I can, actually, I probably could do what they do. <laughs> Nish would do a better politics podcast and a better music podcast. <laughs> I mean... It is quite difficult to talk to somebody because you've discussed music extensively on various podcasts before. Sure. And I re-listened to you going through your absolutely slamming gig history with Adam Buxton. Yes. Your, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hit after hit after hit <laughs> with a brief bit of Nina Simone based regret. But basically, to ask our guests, what's your favourite gig you've ever been to? Heavy pressure on your answer. Nish is a regular consumer of live music. How many gigs have you been to in the last year, would you say? Well, I'm a regular consumer of live music, but as we know, our jobs, working in the evenings, prevents us from seeing probably as many gigs as we would like. I do mop up a lot of live music across the summer at various festivals. So last year I had a particularly good Glastonbury <laughs> in terms of my performance. I think the set was good, but I had a particularly good Glastonbury in terms of hoovering up Little Sims. I've basically, I've got into a weird thing where I see bands twice, which actually is quite a nice intro to this episode. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Nish. I got, quite, I got quite into seeing Little Sims I've seen, I think, three or four times in the last couple of years. I've seen Kendrick Lamar three times in the last 12 months. So I saw Kendrick at Glastonbury, I saw him at the O2, and then I saw him again in Sydney, uh, whatever the Sydney equivalent is of the O2. Mm. The fucking O2, mate. <laughs> not the Opera House? No, 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 not the Opera House. No, it was one of those, like, 10,000-seat, whatever mm, it is. Megadomes. Uh, megadomes, yeah. It's very interesting watching stuff at the O2, especially, like, watching the Kendrick show at the O2, which feels like this sort of mixture of performance art, dance, theatre, rap music, live music. There's a kind of shadow show. The lighting seems incredible. It seems like this very cutting edge piece of high art that somehow become commercially viable in the biggest sense possible. And then you walk out and there's a Frankie and Benny's. <laughs> <laughs> 
how yeah, it in, feels. In, in my case, at our Kendrick Lamar episode, that's all I saw. It was an entirely Frank in <laughs> There was a ticket snafu, and it was a real me or my girlfriend watching Kendrick. <laughs> one ticket between the two of us. She's a bigger Kendrick fan. <laughs> It was an all Frankie and Betty. So, so I, I was do? in Nando's. I played Mario Kart. <laughs> like it was, that's my experience. Me, Mari, Phil Wang, and our friend Harry were enjoying the theatre of the Kendrick Lamar gig. And Alex was working the perimeter like an absolute. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, working the perimeter. They must have thought you were casing it for a future robbery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just slowly patronising all of the businesses in the giant nobody, circle of the O2. Nobody, nobody of an age where they couldn't have at least a 15-year-old child has ever spent this much in any, <laughs> in any of these premises. <laughs> so I'm aware of the O2's charms. The O2's charms, <laughs> yeah, yeah, And you've yeah. had to listen painfully to multiple conversations about the theatre of the Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you were tantalising. Like, I had a great Nando's there. Like, let's, talk, yeah. let's talk about the Nando's I guess. Well, we're chasing that sort of endless regret loop because I was quite annoyed with myself to have missed the Glastonbury set. Yeah. But then feel that I got a pretty titanic performance at the O2. I would also say of that Kendrick gig, it is one of the gigs that I've been to that translates on the television. The visuals of that Glastonbury gig are pretty spectacular and almost in some ways enhanced by being watched on television. I definitely got as much out of it watching it back on TV as I did being there, which you can't really say I would say about a lot of gigs, I think. But that one maybe in particular. And I do think that whilst it's not quite the same thrill as being in the room, the filmed footage of the Kendrick Big Steppers tour is really quite spectacular. I think it's on Amazon and it's filmed in Paris so you can hear the audience going, Kendrick! (laughs) 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 Which is really great. It's really great. So in the last year I've been to a lot of gigs I would say but I would also say I don't get to see as many as I would like because very often my own touring schedule conflicts with the touring schedule of various musicians that I'd like to see. You're up for more matinees from musicians. Oh my God, I would absolutely love a Kendrick matinee. (laughs) Come on, Kendrick. (laughs) Whack a mid-afternoon show on. Just me and some pensioners in lawn chairs set up watching Kendrick at midday. Let's turn that Nando's into a lunchtime Nando's. <laughs> Let's have a breakfast Nando's and watch a Kendrick matinee at the O2. Surely gets a ticket to the matinee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same lightning doesn't strike twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Mario Kart at 11 a.m. I think, I think Mari's karting that day if there's only one ticket between the two of yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? 
United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So bring back to your little Sims thing, you know, Ivo's often discussing his sort of regretosphere on yes, this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And Little Sims is one of mine where at Primavera I watched the first four songs of her set and it was like amazing but yeah. it was the national were headlining right yeah and it was yeah, like a yeah. clash as i was walking out of the little sims gig to be able to catch the national i was like i'm making a huge mistake <laughs> <laughs> like, like the national one of my favorite bands but i see them like five times a little yeah, sims was right. just absolutely killing it and i was just like i should stay i saw her twice on the grey area tour so that'd be 2019 and i saw her at glastonbury and Amy, my partner, was sort of a bit annoyed because she sort of said, well, I've got us tickets to see her in December. And I was like, no problem. Mm. I think I'll enjoy it even more a second time around. And actually the second time at the Kendish Town Forum was possibly even better. It was just a very sort of electric homecoming because at that point, Grey Area had sort of broken through commercially to some extent. And certainly like she was touring bigger rooms and it felt like a real homecoming. But then she also brought out Kano. And when Kano appeared, I think that's one of the like, loudest I've ever heard an audience lose their fucking shit. It was a really spectacular gig. And the Glastonbury set was also really brilliant. I mean, I think the perks of the job are you get to go to music festivals Mm. and you get to sort of hoover up a lot of bands. Like this summer I'm doing Glastonbury again and I'm doing Blue Dot in Manchester, which I've never done before. But the headliners are Pavement and Grace Jones. (laughs) And so you're like, well, that's something for everyone. If you can't find something to enjoy between Pavement and Grace Jones, I mean, I imagine I'll go and love both. And I imagine there's a lot of people at that boat. But between those two yeah, bands, yeah, yeah. there's got to be something. And Young Fathers are at Glastonbury and Blue Dot. And the most recent Young Fathers album is exceptional. And I'm very excited about seeing it. We're just life. moving through regret after regret here. Young Fathers, we missed in London a few weeks ago because we were going to a fantastic other gig for this podcast, but I think almost in self-parodying territory, <laughs> we'd gone to watch a night of jazz covers of Radiohead's Kid A. <laughs> <laughs> and we went with, and we'll talk for this podcast, about two horrible preposition work there from me, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, uh, with friend of the podcast, photographer of the podcast, Matt Strong, Honestly, a huge Radiohead I, fan. I, I knew that you'd done this, but Matt Strong is a mutual friend of all of us, and I think if you told me you'd gone with someone we both knew, to a night of jazz covers of Radiohead's Kid A. I think I'd have got to Matt Strong in about half a minute. Right, yep. <laughs> I, I think if I'd got Matt Strong on the third guess, I'd be annoyed with myself. <laughs> Matt Strong was very, very happy to be watching Radiohead in some capacity. Well, it was, that was very pleasing. But we've got some young fathers catch up to do at some point this summer. They're playing we hope. Latitude and Green Man. Yes. Yeah, great. I'm looking forward to seeing them. I think they're Blue Dot and Glastonbury, I believe. But yeah, I'm very excited. But this is a long way round of saying... I think I saw a lot of music last year. (laughs) Well, also that you're not plagued by these regrets because you do seem, despite your busy schedule, to tick off most of the people you want to see at least once and to get quite a full picture. Yeah, the Nina Simone-based regret is that I didn't go and see her at the Albert Hall because I had an AS level. I think it was an AS level. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that was shall we say, a deal breaker for the Kamaz. Right. They were very happy for me to go to live music unless it conflicted with my AS levels <laughs> at that point. But then that was her last tour before she died. But I've also been very, very freakishly lucky in my kind of gig history. Even at Glastonbury last year, 
my friend Hannah is much more keyed into what's going on at Glastonbury. She spots the holes in the various stages where there's going to be some sort of secret gig. And so she just called me. I can't remember what I was doing. And she was just like, Jack White, Park Stage, now we're going. (laughs) And that gig was exceptional. Jack White doing a kind of White Stripes raconteurs and his own solo work spanning greatest hit set. That's a real like cherished gig memory for me. I'm enjoying the pain in Alex's. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Jack White, White Stripes is sort of my first musical love for yeah. my teens, so I'm very jealous of that. That was a good gig. I also, I was in Sydney staying with family when I was 18 as James Brown and David Bowie were touring. So I saw them in the same room, probably about a month apart, I think. And again, so freakishly lucky because then a month and a half later... Bowie was taken ill with a heart condition and he had to cut that tour short. So, yeah, absolutely freakishly lucky. And the, the Bowie gig was extraordinary. Who did you go with to those gigs as, uh, a, as a young team? I went on my own. <laughs> yes. I saw James Brown and David Bowie on my own. Because sometimes at Glastonbury, I'd become like a different person. And my girlfriend did say, I don't know who this man is, but I would rather have been in a relationship with him for 11 years. Because there's a lot of forward planning. There's, right. I'm a spectacularly disorganised person. My level of administrative incompetence is rivaled only by one of the co-hosts of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the one that was in a Nando's for a Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly, in this room, the man who played Mario Kart through Kendrick is the organised one. He's the one we're looking to, to steer the organisation of this through. I think I repeatedly said on that night, I can't believe there's been a ticket error and it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> insensitive in my delight but at Glastonbury I plan ahead and I have the app and I know exactly where I'm going but I also don't expect that of the people that I'm there with and so I will often say look I'm happy to duck off and watch Joy Crooks at midday or like when we arrived I ran straight from dumping my bags at our campsite to Aruj Aftab and I'm perfectly happy to go to stuff on my own because I I think also being a comedian, it's quite an isolating lifestyle at points. And so you, if you don't go to watch movies on your own or go to the theatre on your own, it can be hard to administrate. Yeah, it is weird going, I've rolled solo to a lot of music. <laughs> I think a 15-year anniversary gig for the decline of British sea power is the only, <laughs> it's the only one you've ever rolled solo. no one, I, I work quite hard to try and find. I was like... Only me's enjoying this one <laughs> of my friendship circle. Yeah. I mean, it's with no disrespect to British Sea Power. And I've enjoyed watching that gig with you. And we did watch British Sea Power together once when we were teenagers. One of our first ever gig pigs. But that makes more sense as a solo gig. Whereas with the Bowie story, you're going, a lot of people would have loved to have a seen A lot of people other. would have loved to see that. Well, I've seen Bowie, James Brown and Prince on my own. And at least partly that was driven by getting to the point, again, we come back to my terrible administration, but getting tickets at the point where there are only single tickets available in seated sections. So it's not just that I'm a loser. I am, (laughs) to be clear, I am. (laughs) But that's not the only factor at work here. Did you watch any embarrassing bands when you were younger or did you go straight in at sort of legendary artists? (laughs) (laughs) Anything before Nina Simone? (laughs) I don't don't know. You had a Nina Simone versus AS Levels clash. I think the night before one of my last university exams, I went to London to watch Electro Swing Band, Power of Stella. (laughs) That's just just not standing up as well. And you're saying there isn't a hardback limited edition book by Nick Cave's collaborator 
character Warren Ellis called Pavrov Stellar. <laughs> Warren Ellis' <laughs> work on Pavrov Stellar is extremely limited. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, guys. The first gig I ever went to was Bob Dylan. <laughs> The first gig I went to, I was 16 years old and it was 2002 and he was touring the Love and Theft album, which had come out in America, slightly unfortunately, on September the 11th, 2001. And he was touring the following year in what I now believe is a conference centre. I think it's now the XL Centre in the Docklands, but at the time it was the London Arena and we were... um, walking through puddles because the ice hadn't fully melted from the previous evening's hockey game. It reminded me of one of the great fictional gigs of all time when Spinal Tap plays Springfield in The Simpsons <laughs> and they're stepping in puddles. And he says, this is supposed to be rock and roll, not the bleeding splish splash show. <laughs> and yeah, it wasn't necessarily the most conducive environment towards a performance. And certainly seeing Dylan more recently at the Palladium was as an all round experience much better. But... I mean, it was mind-blowing. He was my absolute hero. I was 16, and it was the best thing I'd ever seen in my life at that point. It was the first thing you'd seen. It's the first gig I'd ever been to, and it is very funny. I was talking to a friend, Gabriel Abulu, who's a comedian and music obsessive. His first ever gig was the New York Dolls. And when he told me that, I was like, do you not understand how that sounds? (laughs) (laughs) Is there a fairly linear thing with Dylan where it's like, the later it is, the slightly weirder and more gravelly voiced and guess the song obtuse it is well or do you think there are tours where it sort of comes back in and out would you describe a more recent gig at the london palladium as better venue tougher dylan both the times i've seen him he's had a quite recent album out and a recent album that there's some version of it that was sort of a return to form vibe to it and he largely played songs from the most recent album now i can completely see how that would be incredibly frustrating for somebody going to see Bob Dylan. He only played one song from the decade of the 1960s. <laughs> so I can definitely see that was how... Beatles cover. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, no. Sorry, he also played a cover of that old Black Magic. So, like, okay. he played nothing earlier than 1970. He closed on a song called Every Grain of Sand, which is from his Christian period, but is very beloved by Dylan obsessives, of which I count myself absolutely as one. And my question for people who go and are disappointed is, have you not been paying any attention? Mm. What in the grand span of that man's career has made you think he was going to come out and play a straightforward greatest hits? Mm. (laughs) Anyone who expects that from him hasn't been paying attention, in my opinion. And both times I've seen him, he's delivered what I wanted. I don't want Dylan to play the songs the way they sound on the record because that isn't Bob Dylan. That isn't the person that I became infatuated with as a teenager. He's a more mercurial performer than that. We're recording a couple of days after Frank Ocean's baffling Coachella set that seems to have directly led to his second one being cancelled. But again, I say to the people there, what the fuck were you expecting? (laughs) Why were you surprised you couldn't really see him between dancers walking up and down in front of you? You haven't been paying close close enough attention to him. When I saw the Stones at Glastonbury in 2013, that was what you would expect. The Stones deliver a greatest hit set. I mean, it was a particularly greatest hit set because they had Bobby Keys playing saxophone, Mick Taylor playing guitar. But the Stones do that. That's what they trade in. And what Dylan trades in is... Bafflement. Being bafflement and there's being mercurial. And being, bafflement but also, and, yeah. the versions of the songs from the most recent album are the versions from the album. I love the, if I'm seeing Dylan, it's mostly from Tempest or the most recent yeah, album. This I'm, was, like, I'm having a great so night. So it was Rough and Rowdy Ways, which is a new album. And it's he often records with his touring bands. And so there's an energy to the band as well. 
Both times I seen him, it was pretty magical. Was that the Palladium for Rough and Rowdy? Rough and Rowdy Rose was at the Palladium. Yeah, yeah. It was a great venue, and also he's somebody who's very obsessed with old show business and vaudeville. And I can completely understand how we've come to a situation where he plays ten thousand seat arenas all over the United Kingdom, and then does a run in the Palladium because it feels like something that would appeal to his interest in old show business. One for them, one for me. Yeah, the Clooney. (laughs) (laughs) He's done his Oceans 13 at the Armadillo in Glasgow, (laughs) and now he's popped for a Michael Clayton in the Palladium. (laughs) When you're watching Dylan do these sets which you've prepared for and you're enjoying, do you feel yourself to be surrounded by people who broadly having the same delighted experience as you? Or do you feel that even amongst the in-crowd... There's an impatience. I think the Palladium show, I think just because it's been so long now that he's been touring in this way, I definitely felt at the Palladium show there was a real excitement to hear Rough and Rowdy Rose and a real expectation that that's what we were getting. Certainly in 2002, there was a lot of very baffled people. (laughs) There was a lot of very confused people and couldn't work out why it had taken them a minute and a half to identify Mr. Tambourine Man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it feels like we've laid the groundwork in all sorts of ways and sort of subtopics for the gig that we went to together last week. The real spirit of vaudeville brackets the event in Hammersmith. (laughs) We can't stick it to the event of Apollo, given how much of our podcast we've spent there. Yeah, we, we really I, are I think it's our locked. business address. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> I'd never been to a music gig at the Apollo. Really? I realised on the way that I'd never seen music at the Apollo. It was very good, specifically as a venue. There was a lot of faff getting in. I don't mm. know what happened, but there was a lot of people stood outside. And also, it's Big Thief, man. There were a lot of fucking knitted hats and tote bags getting an absolute soaking. You've got to think through your audience, the event of Apollo. Maybe with Big Thief, you don't need the knife check. <laughs> I don't know, there could be people whittling. In yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what they're using a knife to create sort of woodland yeah, uh, what are you folk making, horror trinkets. I mean, you're not going to pick it up. It's a wooden shiv. <laughs> the metal detector's not going to pick that up. For Christ's sake, think it through. Nish, could we rewind a little bit to the band Big Thief, your enjoyment of them, your anticipation of them, your decision to go and watch them, not once but twice consecutively. Yes, and let's not be around the bush here, thrice within the last 12 months, because I <laughs> also saw them at Glastonbury. Yeah. Um, well, they've rewarded that investment. I wish I'd seen them twice, but we, before we even get to the gig, how do you see them as fitting into the lineage of rock, folk, general sort of Americana, in which you're quite well steeped? Yeah, I actually discovered them through a Tiny Desk concert, which is often a very good way to discover bands. I was just sort of in a YouTube rabbit hole of Tiny Desk concerts, and it's a testament to the YouTube algorithm. I keep reading about it being full of Nazi propaganda. But as far as I can tell from my YouTube page, (laughs) it's literally just tiny desk concerts and sitcom bloopers. You're getting radicalised to ever more obscure folk bands. That's your... That's that's my rabbit hole. My version of the New York Times rabbit hole podcast is just, well, I I really fell down a rabbit hole and I just woke up watching Dylan playing Joker Man in the 1983 Letterman show. And that's where you can get to with the algorithm when you start with Dakota by the same comic. It can just push you. It just... I woke up three days later and I was in a real like lead belly hole <laughs> Nish at 4am getting radicalised by stripped back harmony <laughs> <laughs> I mean Tiny Desk you've either got artists like it's Taylor Swift but at the desk yeah, yeah, all yeah. these sort of stripped back versions or a band like Big Thief where it's kind of that's the essence it's of what they do anyway sort yeah of. and I like the fact that as they get bigger and bigger 
they physically on stage get smaller and smaller. You know, they're moving. I haven't seen them before this year, but when you look at gig footage of them, it seems like they sound more like a conventional band. But as they play bigger and bigger venues, they seem to have decided to huddle closer and closer oh, together. I think I use a low percentage of the total <laughs> stage space when I perform, and I really do. Sometimes when I get to venues and they say, well, we need to light the whole stage, I say, you barely need to light half the stage, okay? I'm not moving. I didn't get into this game to walk around. Yeah, Your static performance style is, yeah, is exactly. no comedy on a dead planet. You're trying to save what you wattage. Do? Yeah, what are you doing, McIntyre? What are you doing? <laughs> trying to run a goddamn marathon. Jesus, stand still, mate. Yeah, but they really cramp in and there's a real pleasure in watching a band be so close to each other that you can feel and see them kind of interacting with Mm. each other. It's very exciting and it makes everything feel very immediate. But yeah, I saw them on a tiny desk, bought Masterpiece, the first album, really loved it and then sort of slowly made my way through the back catalogue and... I think they're on an incredible run of albums in terms of their recorded output. I think that they built and built like Masterpiece is a kind of perfect, slightly scrappy folk rock debut. And then they kind of make the sound slicker on capacity without compromising the kind of core values of the band. And then UFOF feels like a band reaching for and grabbing a real masterpiece. Like it feels like a real achievement and it feels like what the band is working towards and then you kind of have two hands in the same year both come out in 2019 and two hands is almost the sound of a band who were comfortable in the knowledge that they might have done a kind of all-time classic album and perversely end up doing something as good because they almost feel much looser and then the double album Dragon New War Mountain I believe new is it was better than any of us could have expected and as they were leaking out singles James Acaster was also a big, big Thief fan. He was at the gig with me and we were corresponding saying, I almost can't quite believe how good these songs are. And I sort of can't quite believe that they're going to maintain a standard across a double album. But yeah, I think it's the best thing I've ever done. And mm. when I was on tour last year, we would just listen to that album beginning to end. I think it's a really, really, really special, special piece of work. We were talking on a previous episode to Rajiv about Black Midi and about them being a band who are so prolific and just reward investment. I mean, they they have a sort of relationship with their phones, which I think is as much about, on top of the music, as slightly sort of anarchic humour and who are they going to invite to do a cameo at their gigs and what random song are they going to cover. Big Thief, it's much more of a sort of strictly musical relationship, I would say. But that sense of it's worth keeping up Because even if you knew that they were going to play songs almost entirely from their double album of last year, a lot of the set was songs which are still yet to be released or a couple of Adrian from Big Thief's solo stuff. Yeah. There's that slightly bittersweet thing, particularly if you're loyal to an earlier album. And the Big Thief album Capacity is my favourite because that was how I got into them. And knowing that, yeah, we're probably going to get max two or three. Nought, it's nought. Uh, (laughs) And and, and that's absolutely fine with me. But the night that we went, very dragon, dragon heavy. Heavy, yeah. But also like Vampire Empire, which, as you say, is a new song off We Don't Know What, mm. which they debuted on a live version of on Spotify. You can, you can oh, hear you can it on get Spotify, a live version, right, but it's yeah. just like a live version that's ripped from YouTube right. somehow it's on Spotify. Right, yeah. They did it on the Colbert show. And you sort of think, if you've literally just brought out a double album. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How restless and relentlessly creative are you? It does make you stare into the face of your own 
slightly more limited <laughs> yeah. artistic output, I think. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My 80 minutes every couple of years of new material is <laughs> really starting to look pedestrian in comparison. Let's not even get into the relative quality of the two outputs. Which of your shows that you did, would you say, was written with the comfort of having already written a classic the last time and that you, you sort of created a classic by accident afterwards because of the spiritual comfort you felt from the previous output? I would say TBD. <laughs> That's a good sentence. TBD, sweet keels. I would say we live in hope. We live in hope. I would settle for adequate. I'm not even reaching for masterpiece at this point. But yeah, the gig was incredible, the gig that we saw. It was very Dragon New World Mountain heavy. But I think the album's been out long enough. And also, it was a sublime and transcendent gig, which I do not think depended on your knowledge of the music. In fact, that was a point that you were emphatic to make afterwards, that actually, even if you hadn't known any of it. First thing I said to you after the gig was the most no revision necessary gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because... I had done quite a lot of revision. I, this was my spur to really get into Big Thief, yeah. and I'm really glad of it. All the stuff in the new album was great, and then I recognised about half of the rest of the stuff. So yeah. I, I I knew about two-thirds or three-quarters of the songs, maybe. But it was just... The sound was amazing. There was also so much wigging out, yeah. I would say. There was sort of almost My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, Six out of ten on the My Bloody Valentine yeah, yeah. scale, which is not what I expected. Well, you from, definitely, it was great. You, you always forget that because they are sort of folky, but they are kind of very much like there's a lot of feedback going on. One of my key takeaways from the two gigs is that she's an incredible guitar player, yeah. which I think I sort of somehow missed in amongst thinking she was an incredible songer, a songwriter and an incredible, incredible songer. She's an incredible songer. <laughs> incredible songer. But a she songs as well. as well. But a guitar as well. Not just a songer. And Not just great a great drumists in that yeah, band yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, the drum meisters. They are. Yeah, I think you sort of get distracted by her singing voice, which is incredible, and her songwriting, which is as incredible as it is prolific. But my big take home is, man, she can fucking play guitar. It was Simulation Swarm both nights, that sort of solo when she's just sort of casually dropping in those sort of harmonics in between the rest of the notes is pretty skilled. And the relationship between her and Buck Meek in terms of their guitar playing is so interesting. Like, it's not clear rhythm lead division. You know, a lot of the time he's playing this kind of decorative notes around her singing and then he hops back into the rhythm when she plays the solos. It's a really interesting, sort of a bit Rolling Stonesy, like in the way that Keith Richards has always related to the other guitarists of that band. It's great, absolutely great. It went so much further than I perhaps thought. I thought it was going to be a very intimate and I think I knew that, have you heard? Big Thief Go Loud. Because uh, <laughs> I think listening to them, they're such beautiful and intricate songs, but I wouldn't say a casual listen to Big Thief will always draw you. It can sort yeah. of wash over you a little bit and be potentially more interchangeable with other folk rock than actually their quite unique live assault yeah. would prove. And they came out, we'd had... I mean, should we go to the we beginning? Go back to the pub. There was a fun moment in the pub with the tables. I don't know if you want to get into that or how you <laughs> feel about it. I, I arrived in the middle of what I will now the be most known stressed I've ever seen James Acaster. As Tablegate. Do you think James was stressed by it? I arrived to see you... James Acaster buying a tray full of Guinnesses <laughs> yeah, yeah. for a table of strangers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was very good of him. And that was meant to be my apology. <laughs> I, I, he took the apology round of Guinness out of my hands. Yeah, but can you yeah. contextualise why that had happened? Yes, because we 
we had, and I think this goes back quite interestingly to our conversation about how sometimes you've got to go and see stuff solo because it's just easier <laughs> to get people to what they need to see and to keep things streamlined and smooth. I'm occasionally guilty of taking a different approach, which is trying to get as many people together as possible for one <laughs> thing. And I think the combination of us going with a group of friends from sort of the stand-up world with a big group of my friends from university, including three members of the bands, Foxes and Hedgehogs, who are our soundtrack for this podcast and are very, very big music consumers. And then my friends, Bex and Josh, who they love the singer Waxahatchee, and we were going to go and see Waxahatchee. They couldn't make it. And I said, well, come to Big Thief instead. We've got a lovely group coming together yeah. at Big Thief. And then suddenly we were there at the Rutland Arms on this <laughs> wet night, trying to actually navigate what this big group looked like around one table, which was a great table for four. And when it was six, it was still just about working on the table. But knowing that there were as many as six or seven more people still to come to the pub <laughs> was quite stressful. And then if you imagine three tables next to each other, in an ABC formation and we were on table C there was a table of strangers at table B and table A then became available and I said do you think there's any way we can just ask the people on the table in between us to move to the empty table A so that we can make B and C into a super table? <laughs> I became obsessed by the super table and they were very accommodating of it but they did sort of look a bit like this is quite a weird bit of business and I then said is there a drink you'd like? And to be fair, they got four Guinnesses out of it, which James took care of. <laughs> Listen, Ivo saw some land to be seized and his genetic instincts kicked in. You can't leave a posh English man around some land and not expect him to colonise it. It's in the genes. The history books do not record how much Guinness was bought. Yeah, yeah. By the New Amsterdam, as it was then known, for, for a few pints of Guinness. <laughs> oh boy if it was like the scale of reaction to that i would say ivo's was overall thrill at a sort of logistically sensible yeah. plan achieved yeah and sort of the fun of that i was like this is fine but i'm going to keep in the conversation i'm at i'm gonna at call other. it you looked very stressed Kelly. i was stressed but then when i realized what was happening he was much more stressed <laughs> oh no I, I didn't even know that there was that stress at the time <laughs> anyway yeah, i, yeah, I yeah. arrived while he was buying them a round of drinks i genuinely categorized the super table in my head as success <laughs> It's great to be corrected on that. And also, it was a short-lived success. Of course, yeah. Because then almost immediately, it was time for the people who wanted to go and watch the support act Lorraine yeah. to go. Which, to be clear, I was leading a vanguard yeah. of people. Again, happily just saying, look, I'm going to go because I quite like to see them. And we didn't get in because the queue was so long. You wanted Lorraine and you got the rain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Sometimes he's sitting on this stuff and, I, and you can't begrudge him in. <laughs> That's his When it started table. raining that night, I was like, I have a feeling have that a there's going to be quite an yeah. officious coat check at Hammersmith that provokes yeah. Nish from watching was, the support act. But I, did, I was relaxed about it because I was going about the second night. And I did see them, but they were very good. For the second night, I was going with Gabriel. And James and his partner were also there again. So three of us went two nights. But for the second night, I texted Gabriel and was like, don't worry, I have case of the joint. I know what I'm doing. I'm absolutely keely at the O2'd this gig. I've walked around the perimeter. I've consumed my Nando's. I've played my Mario Kart. I've been part of a super table. Yeah, I've been part of a super table. An unpopular, but still <laughs> undeniably successful super table operation. So I said, I know exactly what I'm doing. So we did turn up half an hour before the support act. So that's my hot tip if you're going to watch music at the Apollo. Allow half an hour. If 
and congratulations to them, like Big Thief, you've sold out both nights, mm. I would anticipate a half hour delay because they will do a knife check regardless, <laughs> regardless of the level of appropriateness for the band. Also, what you shouldn't do if you want to watch the support act or indeed even be relaxed for getting there for the main act is order two plates of hispy cabbage to the table, <laughs> which no I, one I, has gonna, ordered. I'll go to my grave remembering the look on your face, Nish, when you said that you were going to watch the, Lorraine, and I said that I'd love to, but I just ordered some cabbage. <laughs> I don't think anyone has ordered me. unaccompanied cabbage. Yeah. Well, there, were so already, there were already chips on the table, and I just thought, let's just get some let's more get ballast. Some, let's, let's get, get some, some cabbage for the back. table. <laughs> let's get some table cabbage. Christ on a bike. And just cabbage for everyone. <laughs> Alex very sportingly helped me with it because I was still riding high on the fact that everyone had made it to the pub and we had got seating for everyone. And so I think I was in a brief mindset where I thought that anything that happened, no matter how ludicrous, would just be a successful venture. So I think I thought this will be a fun outre starter um, before the gig. (laughs) Oh, Um, it was outre. (laughs) Oh, it was outre. When it arrived, I said to Alex, it's all coming up cabbage. And Alex said, I don't want it to all come up cabbage. Well, that was so, broadly so, ignored. So, yeah, exactly. So we got the super table. And then, we got the super and table. It was completely in cabbage, yeah. And, and Nish and James and... and Celia. Celia. Celia Raby, wonderful mm. comedian, wonderful Who's friend. And previous podcast guest. And I think our friend Jack may have come with you. I mean, it was, the group was subdividing the group fractured. all over the place. And your parting query as to the kind of mechanics of our podcast was, and do you have to... Be with like as if it was <laughs> as if you were on like, parole or something. Or like, we were your ankle do collar. To, do I have to be within eye line for the entire gig? What are the parameters of the podcast? It would exactly. have been an incredible flex if I said to you, Nish, I'm afraid you've got to stay and eat this cabbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got this. Or like Nish is going to the loo in the gig, being like, okay, Alex will go with you yeah, this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, when yeah. you go to the bar, I'll accompany yeah, you yeah, yeah. so that we can just observe your experience at all times. Is it a podcast? Is it simulating day release from play? <laughs> And so we quite blithely said, no, no, you can enjoy the support act on your own because we'll be with you at the gig. And then we promptly found out that we actually had seated tickets and we spent... You had seated tickets? We had seated seated tickets. tickets. Great that you're getting this information now. You just thought we didn't have the elbows or gumption to barrel our way through the audience to wherever you were. No, no. No, no, that's We were were in the eerie. It was an administrative impossibility. And again, we don't need to wait too long to point the fingers at who was responsible for that. And I can't really remember the decision-making process because it was many months ago and broadly, I always prefer to be standing. A good gig to be seated it at. Was, it, it was actually bad, really nice. I, I, obviously, it would have been lovely to be down there in the most sort of day release observing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be great to be <laughs> shackled to Nish as we hoped to be. <laughs> well, I sat for the second night. So there's right, overlapping right. experience. Luckily, if you pick me for this podcast, I will have. You'll have you done know, every aspect of every, every angle. <laughs> he's had the chips, he's had the cabbage. <laughs> Yeah, I went back to Rutland for night two. You but separated yeah. two tables that were already set up like that. And then you were like, just cabbage from I had to explain to I'm very sorry. I'm in the process of simulating experience for an anecdote on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Like a mentalist detective in a show where you're trying to work out the last movements of like a parapsychological detective. I think it'd be a hard thing to trace with so many people and so many vegetables. <laughs> nothing was quite logical and I realised in panic that I hadn't downloaded the tickets between the pub and the venue and I thought this is going to come back to bite me and the first thing I saw was that it looked like I bought 12 tickets I was like oh no you have to sort of 
work our way through that era. But actually, it's because it's been one of many gigs in the last few months that's transferred to the Apollo yes. or somewhere else from the currently yeah. closed Brixton Academy. Yeah. So you were going to get the experience of seeing Big Thief, but in two different yeah, iconic I London venues. Yeah, I thought I was going to see them at the Academy, and the Academy I'm much more regular frequenter of. You're a Brixton man. Yeah, and I thought, well, I'll see them there. Home and away. I'll see <laughs> the, the second one was because James's partner had bought him a ticket for Christmas. And so she said, why don't you come? And I was able to get the two seats next to them for me and Gabriel. So I thought, well, I'll probably sell. And then my partner was like, of course you're not going to do that. You're going to go both nights. Why are you pretending? Why, why have we gone through this pretense that you're going to make a financially prudent decision over going and seeing a band you love twice in two days? Was she inclined to come? She was actually away for the Monday show. And then on the Tuesday, she was sort of... Big Thief, a band that she does like, but she says, I mainly associate them with you just singing songs by them constantly. And it's hard for me to separate the two. And I think there's some bands that have been ruined for her by my constant just repeated singing. <laughs> Which Big Thief songs are you singing at, Amy? I just, if I get a song stuck in my head, I'll just constantly be singing it on a loop. And I imagine... It's like torture to be around. <laughs> I imagine it's like a repeated refrain in our house is either learn the whole song or stop. Right. <laughs> Not a bad refrain for us, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Were you, did you feel that you were surrounded by people singing along at the gig or did you feel it was more of a silent appreciation? No, there was a bit of sing along. There was a bit of engagement. But what I definitely felt was I was standing amongst a group of people that very much knew every song and were very engaged in the performance which once you get to the point where you're selling whatever I don't know what the Apollo is even standing three and a half four thousand maybe once you're selling that amount of tickets to still keep the intimacy of that and to have no one feel like they were there casually mm. is probably a sort of testament to the kind of following that that band inspires but yeah we were stood it was great but also, I can say that in the comfort of somebody who also experienced the gig sat down the next night. Yeah, yeah. So I really got both sides. But I would definitely say, in terms of your experience, they are also a great band to watch seated. Absolutely. Yeah. Equally reverential in the seats. For instance, before the gig started, Ivo, Josh and I had a conversation about whether David Gray's album White Ladder had any covers on it. So just equally reverential. <laughs> stuff. I'm sure there was plenty of that down in the pit too. <laughs> that conversation and argument was going on until seconds before the top of the stage. We just about sealed the deal on Say Hello, Wave Goodbye and, and who was right and who was wrong before we went into reverence mode. But Josh was very annoyed because Ivo went with there isn't a single cover on the album. And I think I'd said something like, it's full of covers. And Josh felt very annoyed. It felt like his lawyer, Ivo, had overplayed their hand. <laughs> no covers whatsoever. Is there a cover on... Uh There's a cover of Soft Cell's Say Hello, Wave. Ah, right, 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 right. And, you know, right, ultimately, okay. how many other conversations about David Gray original songs were reverberating around the hands of the Apollo? <laughs> right. The security mostly confiscated those on the way. <laughs> Josh was wearing the Big Thief cap that I bought for him because... Yeah, I've turned up today wearing it. I failed the clock that night. Yeah, no, I believe... Were you wearing it in our photograph? Actually, no, I think I'd remove the cap for the photograph, but I do have... I Yeah, I have turned up wearing it. It's a very good cap. It's a good cap. As someone who was slightly performatively getting a cap for my friend Josh because he'd made quite a few sarcastic quips about me being too into merch, so I'd got my hilarious revenge by getting him some merch. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I'd have loved the cap to say Big Thief rather than the, what I was going to describe as unwieldy album title, but Nish, of course, the 
consummate professional has just rattled it off <laughs> because after the gig I was repeatedly going up to people I'd got it into my head that it would be funny to go up to people and say do you like Big Thief what's the name of the new album <laughs> with the logic being that eight words is a long album title <laughs> and also like I'm not 100% sure on how how would you say it I mean I just sort of rattle it off in one as I have done I mean I talk fast and largely without punctuation <laughs> in general. You're like, um, my boys. Yeah, it just every so often there's just... An album title that plays into your yeah. manic rhythms. <laughs> yeah, our friend Tim said, you've got to space it out like a phone number. <laughs> Dragon, you will mountain. I believe in you. My problem with it, I keep adding a heart in there for no reason. I think there's like the word heart. I will put the word heart in about the fourth word of that title. <laughs> and I'm sort of obsessed. I think it's a sort of title that is like my dad will malapropism certain things quite randomly. So like he called Netflix's marriage story. He was like, have you seen that film, The Story of a Marriage? I'm like, that's harder. <laughs> yeah. And so he called the film Everything Everywhere All at Once. Everything All the Time Every Which Way. <laughs> 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 and that, that Big Thief album title really has that oh, kind of vibe. My to me. dad said, I'll tell you what movie I loved. David Day Lewis in the Blood Moon. <laughs> like, everything wrong. Everything wrong. David Day Lewis in the Blood Movie. You've got not one thing of that right. It's like Ed Gabble and I, we lived together. And when we lived together, we used to watch a lot of Pointless. And we're very obsessed with the show. And our favourite wrong Pointless answer of all time is when somebody was asked to name a Leonardo DiCaprio film. And they said, with absolute confidence, <laughs> yeah. I would have to say, the Wonderful World of Benjamin Button, <laughs> which is not the name of the film, nor is Leonardo DiCaprio in that film. Exceptional. Like, to get it wrong on every level, but to deliver it with absolute conviction. It is a Wonderful World. Is that Haribo? Is it I the Wonderful World of Haribo? I don't think... I think uh, do you, maybe Haribo doesn't have a patent on the <laughs> alliterative the phrase, wonderful The Wonderful World. World. I think, oh, what a wonderful world. world. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah. Wonderful World. Also, yes. it is, I mean, it's not exactly a wonderful world for him if I remember the film correctly it's quite a difficult world for him yeah yeah is it Louis Armstrong or Harry Potter has the original claim on so other sort of highlights in the gig I mean a sort of confusing low light was the propensity of someone at the back of the seated through much of the gig to scream little things yeah, right. as a sort of set list call out. Oh, presumably this didn't reverberate all the way down to the pit. No. Because it was sort of unthinkable that anyone in the seated area wasn't thinking about that and starting to actively dread it for the final third of the game. Oh, because the shouting was constant. Because Between you could every song. It. So right. there, was, there was one person who, and it can be very charming, particularly some certain bands encourage it. People bring their signs yeah. to Springsteen kicks. I saw Yola Tenko with my friend last week and by the end they encourage people calling for their favourite Yoda Tango songs or indeed even covers with a diehard fan base and a big catalogue yeah. that can be part of the charm and it was I think the first time first couple of times charming and maybe even because Little Things is one of the sort of bigger yeah. it's got quite a sort of jingly jangly propulsive yeah. like a bit more like jingly jangly never feels like high critical language <laughs> but it's like it really like powers along that song it yeah, feels yeah, like yeah. a song that you could really imagine storming along live and this hammered heckler was, was desperate favorite. for some jingle and some jangle <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it would have been great I would have enjoyed little things but then it, the gig became the little things narrative oh right and okay. I'd say like clockwork as soon as the song ended 
the shout for it would return. Right. And soon that started to be punctuated with people around them shouting like, shut up. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Wow, was, that, we yeah. missed all of this. I would, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. describe it as toxicness. We, yeah. we missed all of this. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like propulsive live versions, the title track from the album, on the album it's quite sort of mysterious, mm-hmm. low-key folk song that is sort of reinvented. I mean, the drummer... What he's doing on the live version, the way they play it, reminds me of like what John Bonham is doing on some Led Zeppelin songs, <laughs> like the way that he's playing the hi hat. But it's like a sort of heavy rock song. Mm. At the second night, in fact, when they did it, someone actually shouted, "Make all songs metal," <laughs> <laughs> which I will say got a big laugh in the room. I got a big laugh from the band. I got a big laugh from Adrian, who then proudly brandished her acoustic guitar and said, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, when we saw that at Glastonbury, I thought I couldn't believe it. It absolutely blew my mind. I think in terms of completely rearranging a song live and it being completely brilliant, it's one of my favourites. The changes they make to that song, and it becomes a kind of heavy blues rock song. It gets the full Dylan in the 60s treatment. It goes electric. And he couldn't go electric at that gig because there was so much water on the floor. Yeah. That, saw him, that was a real danger of electrocution. So he kept it for yeah. that night. My worry, and of course, I don't have any alternative reference on its points to nominate, is that a sort of on record, frequently quite gentle folk rock band turning it up to 11 live. Dylan goes electric. Alex turned to me after, I think, song two or three. They came out of the block so quickly. They played a song called Flower of Blood, yeah. which was absolutely amazing. Simulation Swarm is probably my favourite. Yeah. And that was, as you say, sort of just so delicious and, and almost funky. She was fucking shredding. It was mm-hmm. great. So Alex said something like, it's Dylan Goes Electric in here. And then on the other side of me, my friend Josh said, it's Dylan Goes Electric. And Alex turned to me and said, did you just tell him what I said? And I said, no, I'm afraid we've <laughs> we've independently arrived at the same <laughs> <laughs> It's real like... Oh my God, there's been plagiarism here. What, you referenced a folk band being loud? (laughs) The only reference that there is. Yeah, Simulation Swarm, incredible live. Dragon Ewell Mountain, incredible live. They did Masterpiece both nights. And on the first night, this would have been an unfortunate trend in my gig going that I go to a lot of gigs with James Acaster and James Acaster has a real obsession with taking photos of me crying at gigs yeah. because he feels that he missed out on something because I went with his partner to see Lizzo at Glastonbury and wept and he feels that he missed out on something so now he has to sort of rabidly get hold of it <laughs> and so during Masterpiece I looked to my left I was crying. I'm crying constantly at gigs. As Brett Goldstein is fond of saying, he and I are men who are like the Hulk in the Avengers movie, where at the end he says, my secret is I'm always crying. (laughs) That's really the problem. And to listen to Masterpiece, a song which, in Acaster's own words, they threw some extra sad on. It was a particularly (laughs) sad version on the Monday night. And then to be knowing that through my kind of eyes clouded by tears, I'm going to see the back of Acaster's goddamn phone. (laughs) Unbelievable. When uh, Glastonbury, when McCartney did the song that they've managed to get Lennon's vocals isolated for, and they kind of sing together, obviously that Mm. made me cry. And then just immediately Acaster's phone, just slowly, (laughs) (laughs) just slowly making its way into my face. David Attenborough's just there being like, don't disturb, we're not not meant to to intervene, but we think we can get this for and the mating will still be yeah, happening. It's James's favourite thing is videoing and photographing me crying at gigs. But yeah, the, the version of Masterpiece was very good. And Vampire Empire was received pretty 
rapturously by the audience, which is amazing again for a new song that they've performed. I loved a new song called Free Treasure, um, which again was that sort of had a a little bit of a campfire, like laying down their instruments, sitting on the amps, like this lovely lyric about cooking dinner at half past 10, never smelt food so good. I don't know when and I don't know when. Yeah. And there was this huge double bass great. behind them. The whole set, untouched. Untouched. Just this lovely, I like, can tell Chekhov's you, gun. I can tell you, second night, Chekhov's gun remained on fire. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's a real flex because it's the largest musical it's instrument. It's the largest <laughs> musical instrument. It's like I'm having a my... pipe organ in the back and yeah, never yeah, using yeah. it. <laughs> what did you think of, on the instrument note, of the jaw harp that was played by boing. Adrian's... The boing. The boing. In less magical context, potentially irritating instrument that her brother came on to play during the song. Well, I, he, he, when he walks out, he's now greeted because they've been doing it. And I guess, again, because of sort of the advantage of having concert footage on the internet. Because in a weird way, obviously, largely you're thinking, for comedians particularly, we don't want that. We mm-hmm. definitely don't want people to, because obviously you don't want to blow the joke. So you get very officious with people with their phones because it's sort of, it ruins the experience for people. Whereas with music, it definitely enhanced the experience because clearly people have seen them in videos bring him out to play the mouth harp on that song and when he came out also he was dressed like Steve Zissou from The Life Aquatic which sort of somehow it felt appropriate and he walked out and was sort of pretty rapturously received also they've turned Spud Infinity Live into a kind of early sort of please please me era Beatles song mm. like there's much more rhythm behind it and the da 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 becomes much more like like it becomes like a sort of up-tempo sing-along thing it's and very it jaunty. was Alex described great. it as Dylan goes boing <laughs> <laughs> and then Josh uh, let in I'll tell you what I've got a bon mo for you okay well this is this is plagiarism yeah. now. Let's <laughs> we should talk a little bit about Belushi's because that is mad that that happened Belushi's if you, if you... Belushi's is not a place you think you should be going after. Again, it feels like we should have retired to like a sort of wood-panelled old yes. yeah, pub yeah, 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 yeah. with a fireplace and all enjoyed an ale and talked about it. Instead... We were rowdy. We were rowdy with glee at what a triumphant <laughs> Yeah, it was. Been. I would say everybody was rowdy with glee. We and had a big group and then we came out to find even more people from the gig who'd been there. Our friends Gwyn and Harry, the yeah. brothers Tim and Tom Parry, yeah. two of the great conductors of enjoyment of live music I would 100%, say 100% yeah 100%. Tom was I wish I'd cynically grabbed my phone recorder and just placed it under Tom as he was breathlessly saying things like a band in the grip of greatness yeah. <laughs> and then he said that and he said songs that appear found not written yeah which, that's a perfect ooh. description that is an absolutely yeah. perfect description of them as a group oh you should have got Parry on this it'd been much better <laughs> it's been a pleasure to speak to you about this you've seen Bob Dylan twice and Tom Parry lives in Exeter. (laughs) (laughs) Say what you will about me. I am available. (laughs) I am geographically and schedule-wise, I am available. But yeah, Belushi's was... We retired to Belushi's, if 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 you could even use (laughs) that expression. If you haven't been to Belushi's, I don't know. It's a sort of like, it looks like someone has thought, how can we reproduce the bar where Arnold Schwarzenegger first tries to murder Sarah Connor in the first Terminator film? But everything is also sticky. And Sarah Connor would have heard him coming because of the sound of his shoes on the WKD-soaked floor. (laughs) And yet it was the perfect after party and two members of Big Thief were there. (laughs) 
<laughs> can believe that. Yeah. I, I I had like some writing to do for a show, so I hung the for, like, old now show versus Belushi. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know it was now show versus half a big thing. Yeah, I yeah, thought yeah. it was now show versus the place where Joy goes to not die but have a really weird night. <laughs> yeah, we met the, the drummer and the bass player, and I think I walked past them on the way to my car, and I was like, "Well, they're not going to Belushi's, obviously." That would be I, mad. I think I kept saying to Acaster, "I feel like we should tell them there is a performers bar." in the upstairs of the Apollo. And I kept saying to Acast, I feel like for night two, we should probably tell them. <laughs> were, you, were you able to pass that intel on? Because you were chatting pretty extensively to, to the basis from Big It Peak. didn't feel appropriate. Because again, it felt they were having a really nice night. And yeah. I didn't want to say to them, you don't want to harsh people's Belushi fucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course not. I didn't want to harsh the Belushi You don't want when much. you're connecting with someone to say, you realise you <laughs> fucked it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he was very nice. And they were very excited from coming off stage and having had a good gig. Yeah. And it was very nice to meet them. And we were gushing with praise for the band and particularly for the performance we'd just seen. I it tried to reassure Alex that certainly my interaction with them, yours was a bit longer-ish, but mine attempted to be as gush efficient as possible. Yeah. I think I said to the drummer, so good, loved watching you drum, and no shoes. And that was that. Was <laughs> it. Uh, I liked you, I watched you, and here's the proof of that. You weren't wearing shoes. Goodbye. <laughs> Enjoy Belushi. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I wrote an adequate joke about the pronunciation of Thomas Piketty's name. You know, we, were all, we all had great we all, after parties. We all had a great after party. We all had a great after party. But yeah, it was a surprising uh, bonus. Did uh, you have an afters the following night? Did you catch up with we the actually, again? We, we didn't catch up with them the second night, but we had a couple of pints in Belushi's afterwards. You went to Belushi's to again? Because there's the nowhere else compliment. around Hammers. Honestly, surely someone out there has got to have a business idea, which is how about a bar across the road from a legendary music and performance <laughs> venue that stays open past 10.30pm? <laughs> it can't all be the Rutland Arms. The problem is all the Dragons and Dragons Dan have stakes in Belushi's, yeah, so they yeah, have yeah. obliterated that it proposal at any time. It is very strange. I mean, listen, it's something that people in London have observed over the last decade that it is becoming increasingly impossible to just have like a nice drink at 11.30 p.m. Oh, yeah. The Belushification of London, yeah, it as is one the Guardian it- long read. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Belushification of London. And when you go to other major cities around the world, and even indeed when you go to other major cities within the United Kingdom, it feels sort of alien, this idea that at 11 p.m., everything either has to shut up shop or become a tiger tiger. Like, it's very, very strange. I would have thought that from an economic perspective, you want people participating in the economy. We are a service-driven economy. So you would have thought that next to a gig venue, which on an almost daily basis has around three and a half thousand people moving in and out of it, some of whom... Having I would a good just, time and coming out... Having a good time and good wanting time. to discuss the good time <laughs> yeah, that they've yeah, had. Yeah. I cannot tell you the number of times I've had to shout over a a really poor quality remix of Rihanna's Please Don't Stop the Music <laughs> about what a magical thing we all just quote unquote witnessed. And you're like, please stop the music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, listen, I'm a big fan of Riri's work, but not at that volume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we could put out that call out for more pubs after the venue at the Hammersmith area, ideally with a podcast booth perhaps underneath <laughs> the pub. I suppose that's the idea. Yeah, it just it doesn't feel like something that we should even be talking about yeah. as an issue. It does feel like in London there should be places where you can have a civilised drink 
at midnight. But anyway. It was pretty civilised. We didn't have to rearrange any tables. People broadly got to talk to who they wanted well, to they, talk to. There wasn't any manic. Here's how you get around that. No tables. <laughs> Just <laughs> one <laughs> enormous dance floor. No apology Guinness required. We had this thing when we arrived at the Apollo with what I thought were suddenly 12 tickets, but actually just six seated tickets. Could we get into standing to join and indeed yeah. police niches in joining <laughs> the gig? And uh, <laughs> again, we looked at the security stopping people going into the standing with seated tickets. And uh, Josh said, is this another Guinness job? <laughs> <laughs> I'll also say the security took their responsibilities very seriously, arguably over seriously, because one of them actually quibbled about the file format that he was seeing the QR code on James's Amazing. ticket. James had a screenshot of it because his girlfriend had the tickets and she was back in the pub enjoying the stench of raw cabbage. But <laughs> they would not accept the screenshot. And I don't think I've ever seen a security guard use words like, I'm afraid it's a PDF or nothing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I like the idea of a new Guinness advertising campaign, which is just a happy toucan drinking a Guinness in PPE and going, I'll look the other way. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the gig was exceptional. The experience of it was incredible. And would you say you preferred the first or the second gig? So here's what I would say about first versus second. So again, it was interesting being seated and that just offer a slightly different perspective, not necessarily better or worse, but a different perspective on the evening. And again, I would say... I don't want to sound too much like I'm sat on the fence here, but there were pleasures to be had from both evenings because they changed the set list so radically. I will say the second night's performance felt bouncier. There was a lot of energy on the stage. There were various points in the first night where it looked like they were gesturing for the sound. There Mm, were were bits of the mix that they were a bit concerned about. It sounded incredible in the room, possibly because of the attention that was being paid. But it definitely felt like those kinks had been ironed out for the second night and the band were in a very energetic mood. And at one point, Adrian was fully lying on her back on the floor, guitar soloing, yeah. and it felt like they were having a really good time. Did you cry again the second time? Yes, I did cry did again the second photographed, time. Photographed. No, because I refused to sit next to my caster. <laughs> uh, because I knew what was going to happen. Um, he got what he needed. He got before. what he needed, yeah. Well, the, it was just that it, she did another solo song that it got to me. I was surprised at how much it got to me. But the second night was a career-spanning set. So we did get, I think we got something from maybe not from UFOF, but the night before we'd got Cattails. You I got know, Shark Smile, didn't we you? We got Shark Smile, yeah. And you got Mary. We got Shark Smile and Mary, yeah, which both of which really surprised me. So slightly less from Dragon New World Mountain. So again, it was very enjoyable to see a band at the peak of their powers. Potentially, in the grip of greatness. In the grip of greatness, <laughs> to quote Tom Parry. It was exceptional seeing them give evidence of said greatness from the album that has secured that hold over it. But... The second night was great as well because there was a sort of career spanning element to it because they went kind of across the span of it, two hands, which again, I do think speaks to that sort of relaxed. When you talk about vibe. it, it's like the second album they knocked out in a year because they'd already made their great work for that year. But it was like Grammy nominated. Yeah, it was. Like when, yeah. when your afterthought album is at the Grammys, yeah. you've, you've yeah. done pretty well. Not is a song that has cropped up, I think, possibly all three times I've seen them. It feels like a real live favourite. Yeah. The second night, it maybe felt a there was a bit more drive and rhythm to a lot of the songs, but that also might be because Dragon New World Mountain lends itself maybe more to a kind of folkier air. Mm. But both nights, Spud Infinity and the audience just absolutely going wild for so Spud Infinity. Fun. And they finished, because when the first night they did Spud Infinity and then, and then did Cattails. And the second night, 
they finished the whole gig on Spud Infinity and go out on a big boing go out on a big boing <laughs> and the standing area was boinging we were, we, we were sort of looking down on it from the seat area and the boinging was people were going with it people were drawing those harps yeah I wouldn't be hugely surprised if we weren't the only people who were there for both nights by some stretch I would yeah. say I, I think that there was a lot of Repeat custom. Great endorsement for going to a gig twice. Yeah. What a lovely thing. Thank you very much, Nish, for sharing that double experience with us. My pleasure. It was wonderful. And I'll tell you what, it makes both my tickets tax deductible. <laughs> Thank you. And it was lovely to Thank be you, with you, HMRC. <laughs> it's lovely to be with you for a bit of the pub for one of those two gigs. Well, and then afterwards, and blue, we all got to immediately reflect on how much we'd enjoyed what we just said. Nish, have you got a recommendation for us? It can be anything musical, like a song, band, tour, anything. L. Michael's Affair and Black Thought have a new album. Black Thought, of course, of The Roots, has a new album out with the kind of neo-soul group, the L. Michael's Affair. And it is really, really a very, very good album. Are very, you going to enjoy that live album. at any point? Uh, I hope so. I don't know if they're going to tour it. I guess it's complicated what would Black Thought having... A sort of nine to five gig as part of the house band on Jimmy Fallon's show. I suppose that there's an element of complication to him touring it. And I would also strongly recommend if you like your hip hop avant garde and some would say off puttingly noisy, I can strongly recommend JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown's new album. And it, listen, it is called Scaring the Hose, but I don't <laughs> want that to put anyone off. The tongue is very firmly placed in cheek, re-scaring the hose. And in terms of a more folkier thing, H. Hawkline's new album is very, very good. And it's a kind of singer-songwritery, folkier thing. It's called Milk for Flowers. And it's a very beautiful album about grief. You should have told us that the two albums were called Milk for the Flowers and Scaring the Hose. And we should have worked out ourselves which was which. <laughs> <laughs> a devastating folk album about grief. <laughs> <laughs> Those hoes were very scared, scared after the funeral. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, Nish. My absolute pleasure. Thank you both. It was great. Hi, I'm going to whisper some things to you now about crunch chocolate bars. Because apparently this whispering thing is a thing that makes you feel things. It's saying something crunchy is coming in the candy wrapper language. Imagine your tongue hiking up those crispy, rocky ridges. Now, drum roll, please. Wow, that's good. Crunchy, munchy chocolate doesn't whisper. Turn up the bun with Crunch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Well, that was Nish Kumar. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We enjoyed it. We loved it. Absolutely brilliant gig. A very fun recording. 
with Nish. A couple of fantastic vibe and title divergent recommendations from Nish at the end of the episode. Yes, very nice. We should give our own recommendations off the back of it as well. Alex, would you start us off? I can start us off. I want to, I suppose as a sort of fellow folk rock band, recommend Stornoway, who is sort of Oxford-based folk band with a lot of beautiful harmonies. They wrapped up their time as a band in about 2017, maybe 2018, around that time. And I went to see their last gig at Oxford's new theatre. And they've rudely reformed. They're back. Yeah, it's one of those not that long hiatuses. (laughs) A zombie hand has plunged its way out of the ground from the grave. And then another hand has come out and they're doing nice hand claps with their lovely harmonies. Love it when corpses do that. It's very nice, isn't it? I think a specific recommendation from their (laughs) oeuvre that I'll give, I think is a song, I believe it's called November Song, uh, I think from their second album. And it's a very simple stripped back song with just a lovely chorus really beautiful chorus that always makes my the hairs on my arm stand up and i think i was reminded of it because i think ivo references earlier in this big thief episode a song where there's a a line one of the big thieves new songs about their mother's cooking oh yeah and there's a a line in the stornaway song i believe about feeling warm like your mother's kitchen or like the smell from it. There's some really homely lyric in it that I think is really gorgeous. So Lovely, my precise stuff. So <laughs> I, uh, there's some lyric about it, um, kitchen or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gone away back. Still singing about their mum's kitchen or something. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible to see you perk up so much at my destruction. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid those are my two settings. Self-doubt or brief enjoyment of, <laughs> of just my smallest, failure. <laughs> not even a failure. Just like I felt quite performative in the episode saying that lyric and sort of being pretty sure I'd remembered it right. But like, who am I trying to be like, oh, my favorite Big Thief song from one of the unreleased tracks. But I did like that one about never having smelt food so good. It's a lovely lyric, and I've caused... Did you observe it at the time? I'm not... Uh, no, I did. No, I really did. I thought it was, it was, I thought it was really... Because it, it was doing really, one of the stripped back ones. And it was very audible, even if you didn't know the lyrics exactly. Thank I've, you. of course, now Googled the Stornaway lyric, and it's... With my nose like a fox and my skin like a chicken, I steal into my bed where it's as warm as an oven, and you feel like the bread made in my mother's kitchen, and we're peaceful as a candle. How do we feel about that? With my nose like a fox... Yes. And my what, like a chicken? Because he's cold. It's a song set in November. It's about getting into bed in the cold of winter, the warmth of bed. And so that you're juxtaposing foxes and chickens. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with this lyric at all. But all I got to do is sit here. Your, your, yeah, yeah. Your like positive state of emotional being is dependent on rinsing me over either, not, either my... Saying either my... saying that. That's not my positive state of being. But I rinse myself quite a lot as well. I'm not a bully. <laughs> we, we got to episode nine and I've had to, for the first time, defiantly say I'm not not a bully. You can't will a sort of a no context account into being, but I'm not a bully would be a really lovely debut. I think. <laughs> well, you're enjoying that now, aren't you? Of course uh, I am. And I'm, How know. the emotional tables have turned. <laughs> What's your recommendation, Ivo? I... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you've only had about four minutes to prepare with me talking through my Stornoway recommendation and the lyrics. A lyric that's moved me recently as much as this one about having a pox's nose and a chicken's beak or whatever it was. <laughs> oh. 
we've talked about how it's quite nice if the recommendations can reflect the gig we went to see. So I'm going to recommend an hour's DJ set of mostly disco music on YouTube because uh, <laughs> uh, here's a big clang off the back of my bullying. I did the London Marathon this weekend. I'll bully you. And if you run away, I will catch you. Um, <laughs> and I'd done it. I was proud to slyly promote both my disco enjoyment and my marathon attempt a few weeks ago by tweeting about how I was really looking forward to listening to a particular DJ set at a particular point in the marathon and hope it would pick me up when I was at a psychological low. And that's exactly what happened. Palms tracks at Deck Mantel 2022. It just builds and builds and it's so cheesy and silly and it's like sort of Mario Kart star power music. And I think I'm going to put into the Spotify playlist a particularly sort of inane, but for me, very pump up song called Rock This Space by Vanillo. I don't know who they are, but it came through for me on the Isle of Dogs. Alex, shall we do some correspondence, please, before yes. one of us starts bullying the other again? This is an email which can't help but attract our attention. El Nacional. This email's from Jonathan. Dear Concert Swine, I've been loving the podcast and like previous correspondents, very much relate to the music tastes on display. I am another bottle of the same casking and can only <laughs> conclude that ours is an expression of the highest quality cask strength, non-chill filtered with no added caramel. It's good <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't mind caramel, but no, I, I have to be honest, I don't know what drink's that. Is it I guess wi- uh, Whiskey? Oh yeah, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry Jonathan, You've of course it's whiskey. Like, what, 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 oh. On the theme of gigs while abroad, I've just listened to you when you read out an episode 6 telling of a low gig in Paris, that's low with a capital H. Not just a bad time. One of my favourite memories is of seeing The National on the Sleepwell Beast Tour in Mexico City while living there and working in an international school teaching literature in the late 2010s. The gig was sensational, so stunning that I didn't feel at all regretful at having got tickets in the gallery despite normally being a man to be found in the stalls. The viewpoint we enjoyed offered the perfect perspective on the light show and staging as well as full view of Berninger's famous antics. <laughs> the next day, I arrived to school with their semi-acapella version of Vandalile Crybaby Geeks still warmly ringing in my ears. Rendition not version not that that matters but it's, it's not a cover I'm playing their own song Jonathan <laughs> then says have you been treated to this show closer question mark and is be sarcastic because it's the classic it was the classic that now isn't their show closer anymore right so yes I have on a couple of times seen the epically stripped down Vandal Isle um, so you have been treated to it. I I've have been treated, been treated to it but I'm still intrigued as to whether it's asked sort of tongue in cheek because I, I'd be a bit like I've done some great bullying of your <laughs> girlfriend Mari about how when she described Harry Styles's as it was as a hidden gem on the Harry Styles album and I had to point her in the way of its commercial performance. Well, and a joke that has continued to run on between Ivo and Mari because as it was is, is, bigger, has, and has literally had an article written about it being, I think, the fastest ever song to a billion streams. So I don't know if there are any places left for that gem to hide, really. <laughs> uh, and similarly, I'm not sure I could say to someone with a straight face, like the National, have you ever seen them close on Vandal Art Clive, Private B Geeks? <laughs> but, uh, anyway... <laughs> Jonathan says, I was still enjoying the almost post-coital glow of a life-affirming gig. Almost post-coital. For me, transcends. And opened my inbox to discover an email from two of my year 13s. Upper sixth to you, poshos. 
embarrassing no, <laughs> no be, it's good be blocked to I, us poshers uh, yeah sure but I think crucially Jonathan has anticipated the couple of almost sort of nag bully backs from you earlier in your reading of his email that he's got a real sucker punch for you to not that the... many nag bully backs no. I've basically failed to identify a drink and uh, and wondered whether something has been said tongue in cheek yeah Jonathan I apologise you won't find a more apologetic bully than me <laughs> I don't mend my ways or enjoy my ways they're just my ways I got an email from two of my year 13s with the subject El Nacional and only a selfie of them right in front of the stage in the body of the email. Needless to say, I'd never been more proud of their work. The rest of the class took great pleasure, I'm sure, in putting their feet up for the unprofessional amount of our lesson that day we spent discussing the show. Thanks for the pod, John. Beautiful. Yes, please. Have you, as a teacher, ever been in a position of authority at school and found all of your pupils at the same gig? Well, that's a fun... That's great. I mean, they must have talked about it in advance them just unpromptedly sending him that email. I mean, I talked for a bit at my year abroad and they were so into English music and there was a real conversational crutch. There's another class, Peter, and I was just like, Arctic Monkeys again? (laughs) I actually remember you talking to me about this once. Did you either try and get them into or did they try and get you into various bands like Ride from the Oxford music scene. Did you talk about Ride with them a lot? It's a very cool lot. There is a couple of more famous bands you'd go to as your Oxford bonding points, but Ride is a very consciously cool choice, I think. For uh... And ultimately, I didn't end up using my degree in my adult life, but I do have a music podcast. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 in some ways, it was good that I spent my year abroad talking in English about Ride. <laughs> We've had a few responses about something we put out last week, Alex. Triple threat. Song, album, band, all the same. How many are there? We allege good, the band, the queen, good, the band, the queen, good, the band, the queen, as one of the only ones in existence. But thankfully, some of you have helped us out and given us a few extra ones. Ian O'Driscoll, who would like to hear a Mogwai episode, although he doesn't think they'll be touring again for a while, includes the song Living in a Box by the band Living in a Box from an album called Living in a Box. And he's confirmed it with a screen grab of the Wikipedia. Yes, please. (laughs) And also it could be Kendrick's in a Box, Kendrick's in a Box, Kendrick's in a Box. (laughs) For those that have listened to the Phil Wang episode. Yes, but he's not calling the album Kendrick's in a Box. No, that's true. That's um, true. That's very, right. very kind of you to. <laughs> <laughs> that's true about a hypothetical non thing. Um, and then Liam has messaged us on Instagram pointing out that you've got Marshall Mathers, Marshall Mathers from the Marshall Mathers LP. So that's another it's a very song album band. It's very strong. And I've got one more from Xavier Lacey, friend of Rajiv. Oh, lovely. And he likes the song Waves by the band Waves on the album Waves, a classic of the late noughties, garage surf punk. He's a friend of Rajiv's who has very clearly got the same deep knowledge of music and genre. We love to read it. We love to read it. We love chatting to Rajiv. We recommend that episode about Black Midi Brackets and the board game Ticket to Ride. And that's pretty much us for this week, Alex, although I would finally like to say that after a weekend <laughs> where I was pretty livid when you were on before me in Reading for saying the word snafu in your set, despite the fact that it's a, I'm embarrassed to say. Load-bearing punchline It's a load, like, in, I'm not overburdened with these punchlines, and I look forward to saying snafu in my store show. I take a real relish in it. It's a fun. It had been I... a wordle word recently, you know, yeah. it, 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 it was dripping into the popular consciousness, and boy, did it drip into yours. It's, yeah. Yes, I did a little naughty, accidental borrowing of a well, word. Well, no, no, I don't own uh, You don't snafu, own Snafu, but, but I think in the context of the hour and a half show where I'm supporting you, you own Snafu. That's very and kind And your support of you. act shouldn't be taking Snafu on I don't want to turn it into a support, but yes, I shouldn't be sat in the dressing room working out that I'm going to have to say own goal instead of Snafu. 
and thinking which it's like from his back catalogue can I take for my... So to hear you say it in the Nish Kumar episode yep. that we record just a few days later, a snafu for There are different time. forms of bullying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the deep-seated, complex psychological bullying of perpetually, in inverted commas, deniably stealing snafu off you. <laughs> so please enjoy those dynamics. Continue to evolve over future episodes. Thank you for listening. Please check out Foxes and Hedgehogs, the brilliant band who came to see Big Thief with us and all texted their reviews of Big Thief. I do apologise. Dan Yin of Big Thief, vocals, guitar, commercial vision. That's his role in Foxes and Hedgehogs. And he described Big Thief in four words as strong set, bad on core. He thought <laughs> Cattails wasn't strong enough to end on. Jack Skelly, the bassist of Foxes and Hedgehogs, said, Big Thief stole hearts. I thought it was very nice, and it was very moving. Our hearts were stolen. Our friend Mike, guitar and keys, said, Powerful, jaw harp unnecessary. So it's a real <laughs> slap in the face for the song Spud Infinity there. Incredible for three quarters of your gig review to be critiquing one element of one song. Yeah. <laughs> and yet still be a very positive review. I thought it was a very positive review. They were all very positive about it. It was a great gig. The fourth member, Matt Pierre on the drums, lives in Ghana. So he was not able to come to us to Big Thief. Huge shout out to them. Their album is fantastic. And thank you for listening to our podcast. <laughs>